What is up, everyone? Dustin Bass over here at the Sons of History. This episode, we're going to be talking about what led to the American Revolution and the signing of Declaration of Independence. Uh, look, July 4th is right around the corner. I trust that you've got all of your fireworks ready to go, and maybe you have some leftover from last year's because a lot of us didn't get to use our fireworks from last year. Uh, those are a year older, so use caution, like more caution than usual, because you, you never know, and you never know. Some of those uh, fireworks could have come uh, shipped from China. So, sabotage. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we think that you're going to love this episode, What Led to the American Revolution, and next week we're going to be talking about the Declaration of Independence, what is in it, and where did those ideas come from? Uh, it's just going to be an enlightening conversation. You may want to have your pen and paper ready uh, for note-taking. And before we get started, just FYI, this episode is brought to you by our good friends over at PatriotKnifeCoffee.com. PatriotKnifeCoffee.com. Use the code HISTORY to get 15% off on any order of $15 or more. And look, Chris McLean, owner, uh, veteran, uh, he's got a he's got new bags that are two pounds. Two pound bags. So you'll be set for a long time, at least a week. Uh, that's according to how much coffee I drink. So anyways, they've got a lot of great flavors. Texas bourbon pecan, uh, Foster's Run, Cross Savers. Look, there's a ton of stuff that you can choose from when it comes to coffee. It's all good, all delicious. And if you need to pick me up, as most of us always do, well, this is the place to go. So PatriotKnifeCoffee.com. Use the code HISTORY to get 15% off of your order of $15 or more. All right, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this party started. Oh, and before I forget, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and do us a massive favor and leave us a rating and a review because when you do that, it just, their algorithm is set up to where you get more of those people are more apt to find the show. And that's what we need. We need a larger audience. So do us a favor. If you haven't yet, subscribe and then leave us a rating and a review. And it would be so freaking fantastic if you left us a five-star review and a glowing uh, review. It would be uh, spectacular. Anyways, without further ado, again, let us begin. Reading more of your smut, I see, Mr. Thomas Paine. Smut? Mr. Thomas Jefferson, this happens to be a national bestseller. National? Colonial at best. Give it time. I won't. Anyways, I trust you've heard the news. And what news would that be? The Brits are officially leaving Boston. Ah, yes, you can thank me for that. I'm sure we can, but we don't have time. We have an email. This one comes from a Mr. Johnny Tremaine at AmericanRevolution.us. Dot US? Dot us. I guess uh, that, yeah. Sounds more inclusive. I like it. Why, he asks, the rift between us and the crown? Well, apparently little Johnny's been hiding under a rock for the past 12 or so years. More Take like this one away? Yeah, more like 500 years, I would say. Uh, if he's that old. Uh, well, well, it's quite a long story. It has a lot to do with the uh, competition between the European powers for world possession. And part of it is North America. 
I guess you could kind of go back to maybe the French and Indian War, which uh, started here in North America, and uh, between a little fellow named uh, George Washington. I'm... Never heard of him. Oh, you appointed him commander of chief for the. Oh, that Army. George Washington. Yes, right. That one. I thought you meant yes. well, the other. Well, he uh, kind of got his uh, butt kicked in uh, the Pittsburgh area, and then uh, General Braddock was sent in to clean up the mess, and uh, he too got his butt kicked. Heard he got his butt killed. Yeah, that's more like it, yes. But, uh, well, there was uh, some fighting in other parts of the world, in uh, Menorca, in uh, India, and next thing you know that... There was a declaration of war between the major powers, and it became the Seven Years' War. It involved uh, Spain, and it involved France, Germany. Battles were fought all over the world. India, the Caribbean, Mediterranean, Europe, North America, and uh, even Canada. Canada? Canada? Canada got in the mix? Canada got in the mix. Bravo. So, uh, yeah, as... Uh, you know, lasted seven years, hence the name. And, uh, well, the, uh, the British won the war. The French uh, signed the Treaty of Paris. And, uh, well, you know, those uh, bloody savages. Whoa! Over... Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, I'm gonna, did I say gonna... something wrong? You need to rein it in right there. Let's go with something a little more PC, if you will. Uh, native British Americans? Okay, that's a little too PC. Something we know... Uh, Indians? Indians, yes. All right, let's All right. call them Indians. Well, the Indians didn't really care for the Treaty of Paris, and they started their own war, Pontiac's War. And, uh, well, King George III felt that, you know, we need to appease these Indians. And uh, so instead of just taking over the territory, let's, let's work with them. Let's buy some of the land. And... Uh, well, the, uh, the British government felt that, you know, with all these costs, with the war, with the provisioning of troops, the building of forts, that, uh, you know, those, uh, those North Americans are going to have to pay their fair share. And they decided to do them through taxation. Yeah. And they taxed us without our consent. And as James Otis famously stated, taxation without representation is tyranny. I find it very interesting that the ink had barely dried on the Treaty of Paris after the French and Indian War that King George III started levying taxes on us. The king! Isn't that uh, Parliament's job? Last time I checked, that was Parliament's job. But apparently King didn't check, and therefore he did it anyways. Let us begin with the first, the Navigation Act. Now, this act was actually created in 1651, but 110 years had gone by, and it had never been enforced, and then all of a sudden KG3 starts levying taxes on our imports and our exports, and he also started utilizing the writs of assistance, which, as James Otis also said, were illegal and allowed any petty officer to become a tyrant by allowing them to jump into our ships, taking and grabbing anything they wanted to without even saying, hey, this is what I'm getting and this is why I'm taking it. Now that is an illegal search and seizure. That's what I would call it. That's un-American. Very un-American. Next is the Sugar Act. Now, let me get this straight. We are no longer allowed to get molasses from the French or the Dutch, but now we have to pay taxes on sugar that come from the West Indies, wherever that is. And God forbid if anybody violates this act, they are hauled off in front of a vice-admiralty court, stripped 
of the very right of a trial by jury. I'm sorry, please continue. No, please. Taken away where they have no money, they've got no counsel, they've got no friends, they've got no food, their pets' heads are falling off, and they've got no proof. And then they're also put in front of a judge who is predetermined to condemn. Now, at this point, I started wondering, are we even British citizens any longer? What is next was the Stamp Act. Now, this son of a gun, the Stamp Act was a tax on all of our paper goods. Newspapers, almanacs, pamphlets, like your little thing that you wrote some time ago, legal documents, licenses, baseball cards. Baseball cards? Well, maybe not baseball cards, but playing cards. Definitely yeah, playing cards. That will not do. No. Now, even Isaac Barre, that good man in the British House of Commons, said that we were as truly loyal as any of the subjects the king had, and that this Stamp Act would make us jealous of our liberties. He even went so far as to call us, Americans, the Sons of Liberty. Ah, I like that name. I think that's going to stick. And then, of course, we opposed all of these acts, and I guess due to the fact that we were opposing them, the king didn't like that too much, so he instituted the Quartering Act which forced us to quarter British soldiers in our houses, in our inns, in our taverns. Thomas, let me ask you a question. Why is a standing army necessary if the war has been over for two years? I do declare. And speaking of declaring, the Declaratory Act was next. Now, no sooner had the Stamp Act been repealed that the Declaratory Act was put into place. And this act, I believe, is the worst out of all of them. Parliament can make laws binding to us when? In all cases whatsoever. That's a direct quote. Now, what is to defend us against so enormous, so unlimited a power? For Pete's sake, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. Now, the hand of force may destroy, but cannot disjoin them. Next, the Townsend Act. I love Pete Townsend. Who? The who. Would you please make sense? We are live. I have made sense. Common sense. Oh, good grief. Anyways, the Townsend Act was merely more taxes, this time on various products like glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea. This also placed customs commissioners in all of our colonies that answered only to the crown. Now that is a dadgum racket. That's a racket, Thomas. What's a racket? It's a term that won't be coined for another 150 years. You don't have to worry about that. Not only that, the act also suspended the New York Assembly. Now, we again opposed this act. We boycotted the goods. And they eventually got rid of all the taxes except the tax on the tea. Now, let me tell you something, Johnny. We are not here to benefit the East India Company. Now, that tax may have been a cheap tax, but apparently the king and parliament did not get the message. Taxation without representation is tyranny. Now, we cannot abide. And speaking of tea, the Tea Act of 1773. Oh, boy. Which led to the Mohawks tossing tea into Boston Harbor. Okay, first off, you know it wasn't Mohawks. They were actually... It's the Mohawks. They were actually the sons of history. Uh, I mean, liberty. the sons of liberty that threw the tea into the harbor. 
Anyways, speaking of the Sons of Liberty, we have another email. This one from Betsy Ross at AmericanFlagCompany.com. Sounds like a nice lady. She asks, who were the Sons of Liberty? They were a shadow government based out of Boston, but they had chapters in all the colonies. Uh, basically, what they did was uh, intimidate and coerce the government officials every time they tried to enforce uh, some of these illegal acts and taxes. Uh, now, it led to a series of tensions uh, between the colonials and the British government. There was one gentleman in particular by the name of John Hancock. Uh, he was quite the troublemaker, according to the Brits. Now, he had a ship called the Liberty. Now, the uh, Brits wanted to seize the uh, Liberty any way they could, and they found an opportunity one day. Um, well, what happened was is that two government officials and one of their sons got uh, beaten up, tarred and feathered, and... Uh... Do you mind? I'm talking over here. Are you finished? Yeah. Okay. So after the tarring and feathering and the beating up of those three government officials, London felt that this was a good excuse to send in a few regiments of uh, British soldiers to the Boston area. So they came in, they were stationed in Boston, and this led to even more tension between the colonials and the British government. There was one soldier in particular who was guarding a house uh, in uh, right in the heart of the city, and mm -hmm. several, well, you know, they called it a mob, but it was really, a, you know, concerned citizens. Yeah, upstanding gentlemen. Yes, that were, uh, you know, kind of upset with those soldiers being there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they started throwing snowballs at him. Nothing wrong with that. No, well, the, uh, the British uh, agent uh, soldier decided, you know what, I'm going to call my company commander, and uh, next thing you know, there were... Uh, there were a squad of soldiers there, and uh, they started throwing snowballs and, you know, okay, maybe some clamshells and bats and whatnot at the British soldiers. Well, next thing you know, a fire, a shot was fired, and uh, five colonials were killed, including Crispus Attucks. Now, Crispus Attucks was uh, considered the first martyr of the American Revolution in what was known as the Boston Massacre. Crispus Attucks was a good man. This led to further tensions. Now, when those soldiers were arrested, uh, John Adams, John Adams of all people, defended those mm -hmm. soldiers, and uh, he did so successfully. Yeah, another good man. Well, later on, again, there were more tensions uh, between the colonials and the British government. Um, the, the British Navy was trying to enforce some of these acts and uh, taxes, and... Uh, well, they ran aground. There was a ship called the Gatsby that ran aground off of Rhode Island. And Great so, Gatsby. Uh, no, that comes later on. Oh, okay. Right. No, no, this is the Gatsby. Yeah, that's what I said. The uh, not-so-great Gatsby was run aground, and uh, some of our fellows in Rhode Island just happened to torch the ship. Now, after the Gatsby affair, which was really the first sign of armed resistance against the British government, uh, we had what soon would be called the Boston Tea Party. One day, there were three British ships that sailed into Boston Harbor. The Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. Uh, no, that's Columbus. Ohio? Close. But okay. 
So these three British ships were loaded with tea. Now, we did not ask for that tea. We did not want that tea. And so we went to the governor, his name was Thomas Hutchinson, and told him that we wanted those three ships to leave Boston Harbor and we are not going to let them unload that tea because we didn't ask for that tea and we're not going to pay taxes for those Amen. teas. Amen. Well, uh, they had a meeting and during that meeting with Governor Hutchinson, uh, Samuel Adams met over at the uh, South Church and uh, basically as a congregation gathered, he received a letter stating that Colonel Hutchinson denied the request to have those ships sent back without unloading the tea. So, Samuel Adams stated, and I quote, This meeting can do nothing more to save the country. Well, that was the signal for those 150 Mohawks to get on those three ships, and basically, they smashed the crates and dumped the tea into Boston Harbor. They dumped the tea. I'm dumping this tea because I'm getting sick to my stomach even having it near me. Thank you, Nick the Intern, for catching that. This would famously be known as the Boston Tea Party. Which led to very coercive, and I dare say intolerable, acts, of which there were four, starting with the Boston Port Act. Now, this act put General Thomas Gage in place of Hutchinson as the royal governor, and it also gave him complete command of all the British troops in all 13 colonies. Along with that, he shut down the Boston Harbor until restitution was made for the East India Company's losses. Well, whoopee-doo, because the kind people in the local colonies snuck in much-needed goods to those Bostonians. Next was the Massachusetts Government Act. Let me get this straight. Government. Hmm. This act actually abolished the Massachusetts Colonial Charter. So what kind of government are you going to have? Oh, right. A military government. Very nice. And then we have the Administration of Justice Act. Justice? I don't think so. British soldiers were protected against capital crimes by being tried in either England or in a completely different colony. And then we have the Quebec Act. Not only did the Crown tax us without our consent, eliminate our trial by jury, force us to house British soldiers of a standing army in a time of peace, and remove our right to assembly, the Quebec Act actually restored old borders, preventing us from colonizing west of the Appalachians. Now, Mr. Payne, the true ground on which we declare these acts void is that the British Parliament has no right to exercise authority over us. Which leads us to our third email, colonial email. Uh, ooh, this one comes from seemingly sinister area of the world. Oh, King George III at BritishMonarchy.uk. Yikes. Hmm. He asks, how did the First Continental Congress come about and where exactly does Congress assemble? I don't know if we want to offer that information. Well, it's you think it's really him? It could be, but it's not like he'd watch... I don't think he would ever watch this show. Ever. Ever. Let's move that question down. All right. Well, here's the deal. Since Massachusetts was under martial law and it was illegal to assemble in Boston, 
the uh, Sons of Liberty and some of their followers decided to meet in Salem, Massachusetts. Don't say it. Sounds like a witch hunt. Yeah, I knew you would go there. Well, they uh, they assembled in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, but while they were having their discussions, uh, General Gage uh, sent a messenger to put a stop to the meeting. Uh, they barricaded the doors and they decided, you know what, let's get the other colonies involved, and they did, and they decided let's meet in Philadelphia, where it was beyond the reach of General Gage. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing that the First Continental Congress did was declare the 13 Taxes and Acts passed since 1763 as being unconstitutional. Because taxation without representation is tyranny. There were two bills that were introduced. Mm -hmm. uh, Joseph Galloway's uh, Acts of Union was defeated because it was uh, submitting too much to the British Crown. Right. But what was passed was the Suffolk's Resolves. And those resolves were hand-delivered by Paul Revere himself. Paul Revere, who was one of the Sons of Liberty. Now, he was part of the Minutemen, and the Minutemen came out of the Sons of Liberty. And I hear that Paul Revere could ride like the wind. Boom. Now, thanks to him, our militia was warned that Gage was actually planning to take away the munitions from the Fort William and Mary in Portsmouth. New Hampshire. So well done, Paul Revere. Speaking of Paul Revere, he gave me this. He gave me this table. I thought you got this from IKEA. I don't think so. Now the Sons of Liberty had established a very good network of spies in the Boston area, and one thing they noticed was that General Gage was preparing a lot of whaleboats hmm. over on the west side, obviously for some sort of mission coming up. Now, Paul Revere had made arrangements so that if he saw, if anyone saw British troops being transported on these whaleboats, mm -hmm. that the North Tower was to light up two candles. If they were not going by whaleboat and they were marching through the Neck, which was the southern part of Boston, then he needs to light one candle. That's right. One if by sea, two if by land. No, one if by land, two if by sea. Well, agree to disagree. All right. Well, it turns out that the uh, British were indeed getting on those whaleboats, and their mission was to go to Concord to confiscate the arms and munitions that were being stored there by the Minutemen. Mm -hmm. And have a well of a time. <laughs> when the British troops landed on the other side of the harbor, church bells were rung, shots were fired, and this kind of warned the British troops that their uh, secret mission was no longer secret. Mm -hmm. But that's not all. Now, Paul Revere was north of Boston in the town of Charleston, and when he saw those two candles, he got on his horse and did the midnight ride. Him along with William Dawes and Dr. Prescott, who's not really credited for the midnight ride. Paul Revere, William Dawes, and Dr. Prescott were riding through the towns, yelling, screaming, the regulars are out. The regulars are out. Now, one of the places where Paul Revere went was to Lexington. Mm -hmm. And he spoke to the militia captain there. His name was uh, Jonas Parker and told him that the, uh, that the Redcoats were on their way. So he assembled his men 
to block the path of the British soldiers. And they waited. And sure enough, at dawn, the British soldiers showed up. Now, these uh, British soldiers, let's just call them redcoats, lined up in a battle formation against these men. Now, Colonel Parker looked at his men, and I quote, he stated, Stand your ground. Don't fire unless fired upon. But if they want to have a war, let it begin here. Something happened, and a shot was fired. Nobody knows where it came from, but uh, when it was all said and done, eight militiamen were dead, including Captain Parker. Well, the Redcoats marched on, and they went to Concord, and once there, they started tearing up the town. Well, by this time, about 3,800 militiamen swarmed the British, and they they started firing at them and they killed about three of them. So at this point, the British, knowing that, you know, they really, the element of surprise was gone, they marched back to Boston. Well, during this march, those 3,800 militiamen killed about 9,500 uh, British soldiers. 9,500? 95 to 100. Oh. Yeah. I was now, like, if dang. That, they didn't even have that many. Oh. Point realized. They're trapped because once they got to Boston, those 3,800 troops surrounded the Boston area and kept them pretty much under siege. Mm -hmm. And that number grew to eventually 10,000 militiamen. The colonial troops heard that General Gage was going to invade uh, Charlestown and as well as Bunker and Breed's Hill. So at this Battle of Bunker Hill, as it was known to be, the British lost about 1,000 men. Uh, to about our 450. But they still did take Bunker and Breed's Hills, and Charlestown was ended up burned. That was primarily because we ran out of gunpowder. Typically necessary in a battle. Now, around this time, the Second Continental Congress got started, about May of 1775. Now, I personally got there in mid-June of 1775. The Second Continental Congress actually got a ton done. Now, albeit the First Continental Congress only lasted 45 days, but as they say, the second time is always better. So, I thought it was third time's a charm. No, third time's a charm, second time's always better. Now, before I had arrived, Benjamin Franklin had already proposed his Articles of Confederation to Congress. Along with that, we had already submitted to Canada, hey, Come join the Union. They did that on June 1st. Of course, they declined. And so on June 27th, we attacked them. And that did not go very well. And then on June 15th, Congress chose to establish the Continental Army. And upon the recommendation of my good friend John Adams, placed George Washington at the helm. George Washington was so kind as to take on the position of Commander-in-Chief without pay. That's pretty noble. You got paid for your little pamphlet. And he drove us to victory without was, a cent. Wasn't he the guy that got his butt kicked at the... Uh, that was a long time ago. I don't even want to mention it. Anyways, it is interesting to note that in 1774, we had no standing army. But by the end of 1775, we had more than 27,000 paid soldiers. It was best that we assemble a standing army because King George and Parliament would no longer listen to reason or even read reason because we had sent our olive branch petition to the king of which he did not even read. He did not even touch, actually. 
but we wished him a long and prosperous reign nonetheless. So John Dickinson and I wrote the declaration of the causes and necessity of taking up arms, which Congress adopted on July 6th of 1775. And I think it got the point across pretty well to the 13 colonies on why we were taking up arms. And I quote, we will in defiance of every hazard with unabating firmness and perseverance employ for the preservation of our liberties, being with one mind resolved to die free men rather than to live as slaves. So as our enemies have found that we can reason like men, so let them discover that we can fight like men as well. And then after that, I, of course, left Philadelphia on December 28, 1775. And on Super Bowl Sunday, February 4th, 1776, I received in the mail your little pamphlet, Common Sense, which I will give you credit, had a lot to do with us starting up and continuing this American Revolution. It is time to declare our independence. The end game is no longer more rights from the crown or representation from parliament, but rather complete and full independence from Great Britain. Hear, hear, hear. I'd like to read a passage from my world famous book. Ah, let's see. Uh, Brought these glasses. Are those your prop glasses? Oh, <laughs> use your real glasses. Sorry, here we go. Uh, ah, better. Yeah. All right. A government of our own is our natural right. And when a man seriously reflects on the precariousness of human affairs, he will become convinced that it is infinitely wiser and safer to form a constitution of our own in a cool, deliberate manner while we have it in our power than to trust such an interesting event to time and chance. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. A situation similar to the present has not happened since the days of Noah until now. Yeah. Independence. Independence. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, we hope that you enjoyed that episode. Always good to get a refresher course on how this son of a gun called America got started. Look, if you haven't yet, go and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating or a review. Also, if you don't mind, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be awesome. And share that amongst your friends. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a follow. Go, Give us a like. And that is about it. Oh, wait, I stand corrected. Go to our website, thesonsofhistory.com. We've got new merchandise, new summer 80s history retro t-shirts available. Uh, yeah, I think you're really going to love those. You know, look, if you don't purchase it, you know, tell your friends, hey, go purchase this. Or if you've got birthdays coming up, even if it's your own, buy a couple of shirts. All right, that's it. I got nothing else. We'll talk to you later.